0: So as I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And as you know by now, for this series, we're going to just be taking small chunks at a time in order to really learn what Jesus wanted to know throughout this Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, But before we read God's word, I have a question for you. I asked it for those that were in Sunday school earlier today, and that is, growing up, were you more of a? rule follower or a rule breaker? Were you more of a rule follower or a rule breaker? So if you were a rule follower, let me see your hands. Okay. A lot of rule followers. Now I know some of your parents are in the room, so maybe that's why your hand is going up. If you were a rule breaker now, raise your hands. Okay. So Just a handful of you guys. Okay. I like to think that I was a little bit more of a rule follower. Now, my sister sometimes listens to these messages, and so does my mom. Uh, Erica, I'm sorry. I'm going to put you under the bus. You were a rule breaker in the family. (laughs) But there's probably one story that my mom doesn't know about the time that I was a rule breaker. And I was a little bit younger and my friends and I, we really got into playing paintball with each other, which is the perfect American childhood pastime to be able to take a paintball gun and just nail your friends with it. So we found a abandoned golf cart, golf course factory that was local to where we lived. And we decided at that time that we were going to go and get as many people as we possibly could and end up going to this little factory in order to play a game of, uh, game of paintball. So while we were there, we were having so much fun and time was going by when I noticed this red little blinky light just off to the corner there. And I was thinking to myself, what in the world is this red blinky light? This factory had already been uh, vacant for for a number of months, if not years, when as I was looking at this red little blinky light, two cop cars pull up right behind me. And of course, being the good future pastor, I am, I am, told my friends run! And we start hightailing it out of there as quickly as possible. We hop on our bikes, we go to my house, and we hide all of the evidence of playing paintball. The cops eventually enter into our neighborhood, and my friends are all petrified as we're still sitting out on the porch. And one of the cops pulls us over, and I was the one that I guess was daring enough to go speak to him. And the officer asks us, have you seen any kids playing paintball? And I look to him and say, No, but if I do, I'll let you know. (laughs) Rules can be hard to follow at times, especially if you're young and it's in the name of fun. Uh, But today I want us to look at a passage of Scripture when Jesus talks about more than just rules. He talks about what it means to follow the law. And more specifically, did he come to abolish the law of God, or to fulfill it. So in order to do that, we're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 17. I'll go ahead and read this verse for you out loud. If you don't have your Bibles, we do put them on the screen most of the times. So uh, 517 says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Now, maybe you're reading this verse and you're thinking to yourself, well, why does this matter? Why would Jesus take the time to let everybody know within this sermon that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it? You see, already at that time, the Jewish people were really struggling in their faith. If you didn't know, there had been multiple nations that had captured and reigned over Israel. And Israel was longing for a time of freedom within their history. They were longing to be able to be a people that were not enslaved or ruled over by other nations. So because of that, they were hoping for another Messiah to come. Somebody who was like David that could liberate them through military strength and make them a great nation once more. Now, Jesus had gone around already healing people, preaching, and bringing goodness into the lives of others. And because of that, people began to look at Jesus very differently from everybody else who was around him. So rumors were starting to spread that this man was a disruptor to the Jewish faith. Maybe if you grew up in church or maybe within your own home, your family might have labeled you as a little bit of a disruptor. Well, you could relate to Jesus very well in that because he would have been seen within his own time period as somebody who was creating disruptions. So when Jesus in Matthew five seventeen lets the people know that I have come not to abolish the laws or the prophets, I have come to fulfill them, he's cuing them in on something greater and he's letting them know that despite the rumors that are circulating that i am here to fulfill a certain purpose and that purpose is tied to a common heritage that we all share with each other let's keep reading in verse 18 For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You see, unfortunately, I think because we are separated in time for when Jesus spoke these words, it can in some ways lose its impact to us. So I think in order to understand this verse better, we need to, in some ways, look at our own lives. Chances are that you've had an experience in life where maybe somebody important to you made a promise. Maybe they made a vow. Maybe they told you something that they were going to do for you. Maybe it was a parent who promised to bring you out to ice cream or that they would be at your ball game. Maybe it was a spouse that promised to say that I will love you through thick and thin until death do us part. Maybe there was a promise given at your, your work that don't worry, we won't have you do this anymore. Or don't worry, your raise is coming. Or don't worry, you fill in the blanks. All of us at some point or another have experienced for ourselves the feeling of someone giving us hope for something that doesn't come to pass. We have all felt the feelings before of having somebody make a promise to us to only find ourselves questioning whether that person will make good on that promise. And while we all know a story or a time or a person who has hurt us in this way, the reality is, is all of us, every single person in this room can also say there was a time in our own lives where maybe we did not make good on our own promises. Where we maybe failed somebody for the promises that we could not keep. What happens to us, though, when we experience that sense of a promise being shattered, when hope is lost in a situation? It has a way of creating despair in us, right? It has a way of maybe changing the way that we view a situation or we view an individual. When we are told that, don't worry, I will come through in this area for you, and yet that doesn't happen. Maybe you're the type of person who tries to believe, but you've been harmed in that way in that way so many times where now it is difficult you for you to trust other people. Maybe it's difficult for you to even trust God because you feel failed by the life circumstances that you have experienced. All of a sudden, your world begins to change. And because of that, you feel bitter. You feel empty. You feel hopeless. And you wonder what it would be like to live in a different life. All of these feelings are known by every single person in this room because we've all experienced it, and we've all contributed to it. Because the reality is, is we live in a broken world, and we are broken people that create broken messes out of life. So when Jesus comes and tells them, I have not come to abolish the law, But I've come to fulfill it and that in fact not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What is he doing for the people that are listening to him? You see, many would think that he's just trying to say that, hey, I, you're hearing a lot about how I'm not a good person or how I'm a disruptor. And yes, that's true that in some ways Jesus is speaking to that. But I believe more so what Jesus is trying to do for the people who are listening to him as much as he's trying to do for us is he's trying to remind us that God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. Say that with me. God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a word that I need to be able to hear. Because far too often am I confronted with circumstances that really cause that to come into question for me. Moments in life that I feel disrupted by where I have to ask myself, God, are you going to show up? But here's the beautiful thing, is that Jesus, for all of these people who have gone through years, decades, hundreds of years at this point, from the last time they heard a prophet speak, is saying, don't worry. Everything that is promised will be fulfilled. Now that is incredible news to be able to hear. And I don't know about you, but I imagine that the people in hearing that kind of message would have felt very encouraged. In a world that oftentimes crushes our hope to be able to hear from such a wonderful person... Don't worry, in some ways. Every stroke of the pen will be accomplished. Must have been incredibly encouraging. Now it's so normal, maybe too normal, for us as Christians who gather under this roof to encourage each other in ways like saying, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister. These are common phrases that we use. Or maybe when you're getting off the phone or seeing somebody for the first time, we say, God bless you. I don't want to disparage that kind of language because I think that is beautiful ways for us to be able to encourage one another to let somebody know that, hey, I'm praying for you or hey, I'm asking God's blessing on your life. But so often that becomes so formulaic Or so habitual for ourselves that what ends up happening is, is that words, those words offer no meaning to us. I wonder, what would our church look like? What would our neighborhoods look like? What would our spaces where we work look like? Our families that we are a part of. The world that we live in. What would it look like if we took the promises of God more seriously? If we believed in the same way that Jesus is encouraging us to believe that God will be faithful to the things that he has said, how that would radically transform our lives and the people around us. You know, I remember a pastor friend of mine would oftentimes ask the question, what would our prayers look like if we knew that at the end of every single prayer, God was going to say yes? We probably wouldn't stop praying. And maybe our prayers would be a little self-indulgent. Lord, I'd love a really new car right now. (laughs) God, it'd be great to, you fill in the bank, go on a, a european cruise (laughs) i don't know but more specifically what would our prayers look like if we really believed that prayer makes a difference that god listens to our words that god hears our thoughts and loves us enough to intercede on our behalf I think we would be praying more for our family. I think that we would be praying more for our friends and for those around us that maybe we're called to minister to that we have found incredibly hard to do so. But the sadness of that is we're called to do that either way. And that God does hear our prayers. And that God does move on our behalf. But so many of us don't even take the time to take advantage of all of the things that God desires for us to be able to have. You know, as a parent, I have the privilege of being able to be entrusted with two rambunctious boys. That oftentimes make life a wonderful challenge. I'm choosing my words wisely here. (laughs) But one of the things that amazes me with my kids. And if you're a mom or or dad. Then maybe you've experienced this for yourself as well. Is how often The things that take root in their minds. You know my son. He oftentimes likes to pray and we encourage prayer in our home and i'll ask him usually at dinner time if he likes to lead us in prayer and praying for food and thanksgiving and you know he doesn't get all the words right he he instead of saying father son holy spirit he says jesus god and holy spirit and you know we figure that's okay but he prays and he prays with passion and what started off as maybe just an encouragement to him, hey, buddy, you want to pray for us, has shaped into something else. And I hope and I pray that it will continue in his life. So much so that we're in the car yesterday, and I'm having a conversation with my wife. The kids are just in the back in their car seats, playing and, you know, enjoying their car ride. And I hear little Theodore praying for his brother because his brother had a little owie while he was in the car. And I hear him saying, Jesus, God, and Holy Spirit, will you bring healing to my brother? And you can imagine, as a parent, being able to hear the prayers of your own child, to, not, to, to hear that prayer come just at the core of his own heart. I didn't ask him to pray in that way. But he prayed in that way. And so often I'm surprised because in moments where I don't think about praying, now my son is thinking about praying. Because for whatever reason, maybe i just gotten a little too used to disappointment to where I don't always ask God for his intervention in my situations in life that I forget to pray at times that I probably should. But being the child that my child is, He prays when he really needs something. I hate to say that for so many of us, oftentimes the older we get, the more we lose touch with asking our Heavenly Father for his help, for his provision, for his hand over our lives. And sometimes I wonder if some of the hardships I go through are just to remind me to pray, to encourage me to go to my Father in heaven. Jesus wants his people to be filled with hope, and he wants his people to know that, yes, many years have gone by. I've seen your struggle. But what you see in front of you is the fulfillment of God's promise to you. It's the fulfillment of God coming into this world and making good on every single thing that he said he would. Now let's keep reading. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus doing here? He wants everybody to know that God's law is unchanging. That ultimately every single one of us is tied to God's truth. That we need to be able to orient our lives through what we understand within Scripture. You see, far too often our culture, our society has allowed it to become a normative experience to just say something like, well, you, you just do you, buddy. You know, your truth is your truth. Or whatever you believe is fine with me. When in reality... Those beliefs are oftentimes contrary to what God is calling us to. So in so much so that Jesus is trying to fill people with hope, he's trying to also remind them that what? That God's law remains In many ways, this should inspire us. This should create hope in us. This should excite us because it means that regardless of what time period, what circumstance, what situations we find ourselves in, that we can trust that God's law can be an anchor to our lives. That ultimately we can look to his word and more importantly we can look to him and be anchored through whatever cir- circumstance or situation that we find ourselves in. Because he will be good and faithful and wonderful in being there for us like a rock. What's interesting is, is in verse 20 he says this. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now maybe you didn't catch the shift here, so I hope I can make it very clear. Jesus, in the opening portions of this verse, wants to encourage all of his listeners, but and then in verse 20, like a hammer coming down, it's almost like he tears everybody down. Now, if Jesus is trying to, in some ways, tear people down, you have to ask, well, why is he doing that? What's the point? What's the meaning? Because it's not within God's nature to try to shove people to feel disparaged and hopeless. What Jesus is trying to show here, if anything, is what he ultimately came to accomplish. You see, unfortunately for many of us, we have experienced at one point or another what legalism feels like. What it feels like when somebody is a rule follower, but so much so that they do not understand the spirit of the law. And they allow laws and rules to shape every single one of their realities and then use that in ways that bring oppressions to others. We've all experienced that and the church is not immune to that either. Many of us could think of a time period in our own lives where we have felt the weight of law in our lives. And Jesus wants us in some ways to realize that unless all of us can surpass the faithfulness or the righteousness of the Pharisees, then what is going to happen to us? We're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Which is pretty ironic because most of the times when we read scripture we see who is the bad guys uh, with jesus the pharisees but here within this text what is jesus saying you need to be better than the pharisees you see what the pharisees got wrong is they allowed the law to be the thing that could save them they thought that if, if I were to ask all the Pharisees, are you a rule follower or are you a rule breaker? Every Pharisee would have raised their hand and said, I'm a rule follower. And I want everybody to know it. But what Jesus is saying here is, that's not enough. Because the reality is, is no one, no one can follow all of the laws and surpass the Pharisees in all of their righteousness. You know, often as your pastor, I have the challenge of trying to, in some ways, instill in us as a community the need to pursue righteousness. So that oftentimes means that my role is to step on toes I've pretty much lost all of mine already. (laughs) But here we see something so different than what had ever been preached within this time period. That if you cannot surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. I can't surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees' church. And I'm not trying to make myself sound any more important than anyone else in this room. But I know that if I can't, we can all say that we can't, right? None of us can surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. None of us can ultimately follow every single letter of the law. Does that make the law of God bad? No. Does that make God's word oppressive or cruel? No. But what that does mean is, is then what hope are we to have? If none of us through our actions can surpass the righteousness of a Pharisee, then what hope is there? You see, so often as a pastor, I encounter people who live in the I'm not good enough camp who want to be followers and not rule breakers. But when they look at their lives, every single time they try to follow a rule, what ends up happening? They break it. And that discourages them. That makes them feel small. That makes them feel like, how could God ever love me? That's a phrase that I oftentimes hear people say. I just don't know how God could ever love a person like me. Jesus was well aware of this. And I'm sorry to say that unfortunately for many, some people have received the form of Christianity that is well, if you don't follow the rules, guess what, buddy? You don't get to join the party. And there's some truth to that. But Jesus knew that none of us, none of us could truly be righteous without him. So when he says that I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, what he is saying there is, is it was God's plan all along for me to become your righteousness for me to be the vessel through which you find grace freedom hope peace and all of the things that we deeply desire in life not that the law doesn't matter Not that we don't try to listen to the law, but reality is, is we can't use the law as a way to save ourselves. Because if we've broken one law, guess what? We've broken them all. But unfortunately for us, most of the times what ends up happening is, is we become comfortable with some sins. So we dismiss those. And then we create what? Our little hobby horses of things that we see as really bad. So we hear people preach and hurt other people with the things that God says is wrong. And we weaponize our righteousness to make other people feel low and small. There's this quote from Ann Tatlock. Says this. Here's the paradox. We can fully embrace God's love only when we recognize how completely unworthy of it we are. I think there's a lot of truth to that. When us as people realize that we are truly unworthy of God's love is ultimately when we see what? The greatness of that love. It's why Jesus said that those who have been forgiven much. What? They love much. And they experience the love that God has for each and every single one of them. It's why my big idea for today is a simple one. God loves me. God loves me. Church, take heart in knowing that God will fulfill his promises in, in your life. That anything that scripture says, that in, in says in affirmation to who we are in Christ and what our faith is and how God will always be there for us is 100% true. That we can trust those things at any stage, any age of our lives. But also know that God understands that we cannot, apart from him, truly be righteous enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's okay. Because where we couldn't make a way, Jesus did. And this is why the gospel is so beautiful. This is why the words and ministry of Jesus are so powerful. Because it is a message that says, You cannot, but I can. I love you as you are, and I can, find, and I can provide a way. Come as you are, and I will love you where you're at. These are all things that speak to us on the deepest, deepest levels. Jesus came because he loves us. It's that simple, wonderful passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's the truth, church. God loves Each and every single one of you. And his plans in your life are always meant to redeem. Not God loves you if you fulfill all the commandments. Not God loves you if you keep perfect attendance at church. Although I'll love you a little more. (laughs) But God loves you. Will you receive that love? Will you allow that love to be something that you say, Lord, I've tried my ways. They don't work. I need you to be the one who carries me. I want to encourage you this week, that each day of this week, to remind yourself that God loves you. That God will fulfill his promises. Then to take time and read and memorize Philippians 1.6. Which says this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your law. We thank you that your law was never meant to be a means of redemption for us. That even though in your law we learn truth. And we learn how to orient ourselves into this world. That ultimately that was never going to be the ultimate means of righteousness in our lives. That righteousness comes from you father i know that there are many people here including myself who have felt the weight of hope broken who have tried to or have experienced promises broken but i thank you lord that you are faithful in fulfilling your promises to us That you love us enough to continue to pursue us, to redeem us. To say that even though we are not truly worthy. That you love us enough to make us worthy of all of the wonderful gifts you desire to give us. Help us to see and appreciate that more and more each day. That you love us just as we are. In Jesus name, amen. As I mentioned earlier in the service, today is Communion Sunday. You might ask, well, why do you do this all the time, Pastor Kevin? Well, we do it once a month, and honestly, I could probably go for doing it every week. We take communion because we need to be reminded of these things. I don't know about you, but even though I preach the sermons on Sundays, I come to church hungry. I come to church wanting to hear a word, wanting to hear God's encouragement in my life and I hope that that's why you come too because something special happens when we gather here together under the name of God and it's because of his great name that we take communion because we want to remember the same truth that was spoken today that even though we are not righteous enough to be able to inherit the kingdom of God that God does what he makes a way where there is no way So we take communion to remember the great cost it took God to make that way for each of us. For all of us to experience his grace and his forgiveness. So just as a way of instruction for each of you guys, we're going to take communion as a church. Boy, I'm hating this thing right now.